are carrying on um, with uh, the Samuel passage, and I am covering Samuel chapter 4, 5, and 6. But before I do that, I, I just want to just applaud everyone here for, for, for being aware of the church calendar and that we still do Palm Sunday and, and Good Friday. Um, in my other job, I, I see a lot of people. And it's, it's just struck me this week how many people don't know the story. Here in the United States, a lot of people didn't know it was Palm uh, uh, Good Friday. It didn't know it was Palm Sunday. They didn't know these things. And, and this is a joy that we're worshiping in a community that still talks about these things and still talks about the Bible and still talks about the gospel message. And I wanted to, 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 to really uh, sink into this, this season in my life um, because I grew up and I was in a church that, that we sort of did it, but we didn't really talk about the depth of it. And to have a church that we do talk about it is awesome. So today, um, we're in Samuel 4, uh, 5, and 6. And you know what? Samuel is full of a lot of great Sunday school lessons. There's a lot of great Sunday school stories, but today is not one of them. Today is a, uh, I, uh, truthfully, this is a passage that I never really dwelt on in depth very much before. Because everybody, when we think is Samuel, we want to talk about uh, Hannah. We want to talk about uh, Eli and Samuel and the call. We want to talk later on, there's David and Goliath, David killed. And there's, there's a lot of great stories. And they sent the, the message about this this passage and this is this is what the email said it said that it will require extensive storytelling <laughs> to go through this passage and so that's what we're going to do we're going to go through some extensive storytelling but as we start i am going to go back to chapter two because i think to set up the story in these these passages we need to look at a, a portion in chapter 2. And this portion is where a unnamed man of God comes and talks to Eli. This is in chapter 2. We know that the last week uh, Samuel got the message of warning to Eli. But it wasn't the first message to warning. This unmanned unnamed man of God and the language this means a prophet so there's this unnamed prophet that comes and gives Eli a warning about the behavior of him and his sons and I'm going to just read a couple verses uh, uh, 1 Samuel 2 34 and 35 and this is what this is you can read the whole portion of what the man of God said but this is how it ended now, this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons, on Hopi and Phineas. In one day they shall die, both of them. Then I will rise up 
for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before my anointed forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you, Lord God, that, that you are still communicating. And Lord God, I thank you that, that the prophetic word uh, of the high priest is still active in our lives. And Lord God, I thank you for this portion. Help us, Lord, to just learn from it, glean from it, and have our spiritual lives enriched by it. In Jesus' name. Amen. So here we had the wonderful chapter 3 where Samuel is, is used by God and Samuel was established as a prophet forever. And we go into 4. And I'm not going to read these passages. I'm just going to highlight them real quick. In chapter 4, Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. So he's out there. Uh, they're all out there. They're going bad. They are getting whipped. They're getting abused. The Philistines are, are, are destroying them. And, and the solution they had was to bring out the ark. So they're going to bring out the ark into the midst of the battle. And in, in Jewish uh, and Christian scriptures, we find that the way the ark was carried was you don't put it on a cart. We learn that later on in the story that in Samuel. You don't put it on the cart. You, you have these two special poles, and there's rings. The ark's very beautiful. There's rings on the side of the ark, and two priests have to carry the ark. So, so the sons of Eli were the two priests that came, and they're carrying the ark into battle. And as they're carrying the ark into battle, the whole, the whole uh, accompaniment, the whole army just goes crazy. It, it reminds you of what Palm Sunday's about, right? Because they're carrying in, they're carrying into the ark, they're carrying the ark in, and everybody's going crazy. It's a loud shout. It's so loud that the Philistines hear it, and they start getting concerned. They're starting to get worried. They're like, wow, the, the ark is there. And you think, wow, that's cool. They're going to win now because the ark's there. So they carried it in. Everyone is celebrated. Everyone went crazy. And then they went on with the battle. And guess what? Israel got their, 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 their bottoms handed to them. They got taken care of. In fact, not only did they get destroyed, uh, 4,000 died before they brought the ark. After that, 30,000 died. And not only 30,000 died, the sons of Eli died, and the Philistines took the ark with them. So here's the story. And then it goes on, and, it, and this is all happening. And... And, and that, uh, there's messengers that go back to Eli. And they're telling them, what's happening? Well, they lost. The, the, the ark is gone. Your sons are dead. And Eli falls over and dies himself. This is, this is all. Just read it. It's an amazing uh, portion. And then 
uh, Eli's daughter-in-law has a son and names him Ichabod. What, this is, it brings me mind of a sleepy hollow. You know, every time I hear it, Ichabod Crane. It's a great literary uh, reference. And Ichabod means that the glory of the Lord is departed. And that's why she named him. Because her, her husband was dead, the ark was gone, the glory of the Lord is departed. So then we go into chapter 5. In chapter 5, the Philistines took the ark and they put it into the, the, the house of their God. Because this was a power. This was something amazing. They needed to put it in a, in a place of prominence. And they put it in the house of their God as an act of worship to that God. And so the next morning, they come in, and the God is the idol. The God is laying down on its face. His name's Dagon. So Dagon's down on his face, and, and they're like, oh, that's weird. So they put him back up again, and they leave him in there. Then the next time they come in, he's, he's fallen down, and his head's knocked off. His hands are knocked off, and, and he's, they're like, oh, this is not good. So they're like, they come and talk to each other, and they said, say, we have to move this ark. So they move it to another city. In, in, in the, the, the Philistines, and another, what is it, Philistine? Phil, anyway, they move it to another city, and everyone gets tumors in their private places. That's kind of weird. Tumors are private. Some commentators say they got hemorrhoids. Yeah. Well, it gets weirder. So they keep moving it around, and everywhere they move it, these people are getting tumors. It's like, not in my backyard. No, we don't want it anymore. Yeah, okay. So they decided to send it back. Okay, that jumps into six here. Did I get everything in five? Yeah, okay. They, they decide to send it back. Before they send it back, they said, oh, this is a powerful thing. We need to give an offering too. So they decide to make, make five mice, golden mice, for the five, there was five kings of uh, leaders, and then they decided to make five tumors. I'm like, uh, you know, that's a weird thing. Why would you make five tumors? And what would a tumor look like? I got a picture of that somewhere. Let's see, it's probably in the end of that thing. There's a picture of uh, gold mouse. There, and there's a tumor. That's some artist. It's, uh, it's like five. <laughs> so they decided they send these back as an offering. Uh, you take that down. So, But that's what I, I was thinking. Well, what's that look like? I don't know. But that's how. It's a five. They send it back. Okay. So here's this passage. All this is going on. And in this story, it's like, well, I don't usually do this because I have some uh, learning disabilities and stuff. But every once in a while, God has me journal. And uh, the last time I did it was two years ago. I did a 21-day Daniel fast, and I journaled every day. And, and that's a... I'd like to say it's really great. 
it's a, it's a trial for me, and, and I, I learn a lot, but it's not like I still journal. But I did it for 21 days, and, and I've done it a couple times where I journal. And when I journal, I use a thing called the SOAP method. And the SOAP method is you're reading your passage, and, and you pick out a scripture in that passage, and you write down the scripture, and then you observe. You say, okay, what's going on in this scripture? What's going on here in the scripture? And then you journal an application. How does this apply to me? And then you journal a prayer. You write out the prayer. And that's the way I journal with the SOAP method. And it's, it's something that it helps you to dig in deeper to the scripture. So I'm, I, when I'm reading this, I look at this and say, okay, what are some of the big takeaways? What are the, some of the big uh, observations in this passage? And, and the first one is this, is that Samuel replaces Eli as high priest and judge of Israel. This is where the first two chap- three chapters were going. Okay? And this fulfills the prophecy of the unnamed man of God. It's happened. And he becomes a high priest. But even more than that, he's setting up that redemptive process that leads us to Jesus Christ. It's coming about. And when we read this passage, it's important to see how God is not going to let man stand in way of his plans. And so, so that's the thing. And then we see him preparing for the great high priest. Uh, years ago, um, I remember hearing this song. It's called He Is. Did you ever hear this song? It goes through every book of the Bible and says who Jesus is in that portion. This is who Jesus is. And it was very popular years ago. And ever since I heard that, every time I read this, the scripture, I'm like, okay, where is Jesus in this, in this portion? And so I looked up that song, and according to He Is, in, in Samuel, um, Jesus is the prophet. Jesus is a prophet. Then I dug a little deeper because there's a lot of people that look up these passages and, and apply these things. But there's a, there's a website called um, the Bible Study Tools website. And they said Sam in Samuel uh, is all in one. He is the prophet, priest, and king. So Jesus in the book of 1 Samuel is he is the prophet, priest, and king. We see this being set up, that, that, that Jesus is, we're preparing for that. And so when we had Palm Sunday, when, when Jesus was brought into the city, they were all shouting and cheering, just so much like the ark was. But by the time Friday came around, they were all scattered, and it seemed like they were all defeated. At the time of this passage, Israel were thinking that they were defeated. They lost the ark. Their, their judge and the, those in line to be the high priest were killed. But we see that now it was a victory where God was putting Samuel into that place of high priest and judge over Israel. And soon the king would come in Saul 
and David. So when I look at this passage, I also look and say, what's some points in my life for Christian living? You know, the first thing as I look into this is that there's the priesthood of all believers. The priesthood of all believers. Back then, Eli and the sons were the priest. And that, that was part of the Old Testament system. But now, there's a priesthood of all believers that you are a priest. I am a priest. I am responsible for the presence of God in my life. And I am responsible, I am responsible to, to communicate with God. And I have that ability. Second Peter, First um, Peter 2, it says this. And this is an, I'm going to read just 2.9, but in this passage, it's talking about the, the, the cornerstone that was rejected. And it's talking in this passage that we are living stones that are building the temple. We are the living stone. It is not uh, no longer a, a thing that's in Israel. The temple of God is here. You know, later, or, or at another place, in Peter says that, no, you're not. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, um, we, we are this temple. And this is what it says in, in relation to this living stones and growing. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, as Samuel, it says his words were established. That prophetic priesthood is established in us also. And it's not just that God wants to speak to, to, to Pastor Steve. It's not that God just wants to speak to the worship leaders or, or the leadership team. God wants to speak from the, to the youngest to the oldest in this room. You never retire from hearing God's Word. God wants to speak to you today as clearly as He wanted to speak to you when you were younger. In Franklin Avenue, uh, Pastor Steve spoke last weekend, and he brought up, he, he started off talking about the words that the kids heard. And it was just powerful that God was speaking to the children on, on Sunday nights. And to hear some of those and to hear people raise their hand and say, oh, you know, that, that connects to me. That's, that's a thing, you know. So God not only wants to speak to the kids, God wants to speak to each of us. And we need to really hold that, hold that. So now there's points about these passages is the presence of God. When we think of Ichabod, the presence has, has departed. I was reading the commentator, uh, the pulpit commentator. I, I have a big old set of pulpit commentators. And this is, this is what the, the commentator wrote about this passage and talking particularly about the presence of God. It says, the presence of God is the true glory of a people. Let me read that again. The presence of God is the true glory of a people. It brings their real dignity. 
It brings their eternal prosperity. It brings their external influence. In vain do we look elsewhere for these things. So when the presence of God is here, it brings a sense of respectability to us. Not that we bring a sense of respectability to the presence of God. Actually, sometimes the presence of God looks kind of crazy in our lives. But when it's there, it's the thing that gives us true value. And that's when we see the ark being gone, where, where, where the, the daughter-in-law of Eli is saying, Ichabod, because the glory is departed. That's because they're recognizing that there's something special about the presence of God. And it's something that we should honor, and that's something that we should foster. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, leader of the, the first great awakening in the United States, one thing that, that always sticks with me is in his journal, he talks about walking around his, his city. And he said, it seemed like every home had a token of God's presence. Every home had a token of God's presence. He wasn't talking about the churches. He was talking about when he visited people, he felt that the presence of God was with them. Let that be our testimony, that the presence of God is with us. When people walk into our homes, that they feel something different, that they feel not see that we decorate it well, but that to see that the presence of God resides with us. Another point for Christian living today is the power of parenting. God has placed an eternal gift in our hands as parents and grandparents and church members. When we dedicate, and, and I love this about our church, when we dedicate children to the Lord, there's a point where we turn to everyone in the congregation and says, will you help in parenting this child? This is a great responsibility. And we see in this story two views of parenting. And Eli did good in both of them. He did bad in one and good in the other because he did not parent his children correctly, his two sons. He did not he did not speak out against them. He let them do wicked things. Even though he was warned repeatedly. He was warned repeatedly, but he did not parent them the way he should. Then comes along Hannah and Elkai, and here comes Samuel, and all of a sudden he has another chance. And along with Hannah and, and, and Eli parented Samuel in a way that he grew to the Lord, in the way that he fostered God. And I know that, that Hannah only came, came up once a year, but I know that her prayers and presence was with Samuel. So things that we need to take of is that our parenting matters. Our parenting matters. And it's never too late why do you think the man of God came to Eli and warned? 
The warning wasn't saying, hey, you're blowing it. There is a time for him to change. I couldn't really figure out how old Samuel was in chapter 4. I, I couldn't find that in the commentators. And maybe I just was looking in the wrong ways. You know, so, but I'm assuming he, Samuel's an adult. By the time chapter 4 comes about. And so he's warned by the man of God. He's warned by Samuel. But he does not change. His response to Samuel was, oh, God's going to do what he wants. Could it be if he would have heeded the warning, things would have been different? I don't know. I don't know. So there's power in parenting. There's power in parenting. And as I look through this and, and look at my applications and... There's some words of warning. There's some words of warning here. I think they all go under mishandling the things of God. So in this passage, we see that the priests were using their positions for selfish reasons. They were mishandling their position. They weren't honoring God with their position. And I think Eli was included in this because he let it happen. Even though he was used in Hannah's life, he, he, he spoke the true word of God to her. But they mishandled their position. I think they were treating the ark as a good luck charm. It wasn't about their relationship with God that was going to win that battle. Later on, what did David say to Goliath? He says, you come at me with sword six, but I come with the power of the Lord. They weren't talking about the power of the Lord. They're like, if we bring this ark in here, we're going to win. They're treating it just as a thing, as as a good luck charm. It reminded me of, of uh, I just lost it. I knew this. Indiana Jones. But wasn't that? They wanted that ark as the good luck charm that was going to win the battle for Hitler or whatever. Anyway, that's an old movie. I'm dating myself. And my, my, my wife's spooked out about that movie. Sometimes, you know, at the end, I'm spooked out about that movie, too. Anyway, so they're treating the ark as a good luck charm. Then later on, we see in this passage, when the Philistines got the, the ark, they're putting the ark in places of dishonor. They weren't putting, they were putting that ark in Dagon's uh, temple as an offering to Dagon. They're putting the ark in places of dishonor. What's the ark represent? The presence of God. They're putting the presence of God in places of dishonor. And they keep going. They keep moving it around. And finally, they put it on a cart and send it back. And that's someone else's part of the story. So they put it in a place of dishonor. Another sign of warning is the warning to Eli and his sons. Or the warning to Eli's son. 
Man, Eli mishandled the warning. It, it, you know, he acted like it it's, didn't really mean anything. You know, God's going to do what he's going to do. And there's a high cost to disobedience. There's a high cost to disobedience. So, so what does this mean for me? What does this mean for you? What does this mean for us? And I read this and I have some questions for myself. Do I use my position for God's mission in my life? Or do I use my position as a Christian to take advantage of things? Am I really on a mission for God? Or am I on my own mission and hoping God will bless it? You know, this scripture did not say that God led them out to battle the Philistines. I don't know why they went out there. They went out there, but nothing in there says God led them to that battle. So sometimes are we taking our position because we want to do something and that we're hoping that God will follow us and bless it? Am I mishandling my position in God's mission? Is it my mission or is it God's mission? Is Jesus my luck charm? Is Jesus my good luck charm or is he the rock that I stand on? You know, when, when, when I was in, in New Jersey, there became a popular t-shirt it was, uh, Jesus is my homie. Anyone remember that? So Jesus is my homie. That's a nice thought, I guess. But to me, it's like, wow, that's pretty flippant on who Jesus is. Jesus, okay, he's my brother, but he's the Lord of my life. My homie's someone I run with. Sometimes get in trouble with. But Jesus needs to be the Lord of my life, not someone who I hang out with and have a good time. Can I hang out with Jesus and have a good time? Yes. But it's not about that. It's about having him lead my life. Not just hang out with me. Is Jesus my luck charm? Or is he my rock that I stand on? We read earlier, what well, I quoted earlier, where Paul said that I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm the temple of his presence. When I read this story, if I am the temple, do I place myself and God's presence within me in places of dishonor? Do I take my temple and God's presence into places I should not be? Do I take my temple and God's presence onto a TV screen that I should not be watching or a computer screen that I should not be watching? Do I take my temple and my presence into places where it is dishonored instead of honored? When I first married my wife, 
um, she had a little lady that was good friends with her family. And this lady was a Salvation Army lady. And she would go to the bars and preach Jesus. And some people would say that she shouldn't do that. But she went to the bars and honored Jesus and glorified Jesus and did not dishonor Jesus. She was saved as an adult. Her husband at the time was an alcoholic and, and he never got out of that alcoholic lifestyle. So she left him, but she never divorced him and she stayed faithful to him and she would feed him and she was her caregiver all the way to the end. But she says, I cannot live with him in that state because it dishonors me and Jesus. You know, we need to know that we can't compromise with our temple. Anyway, I can go on and on about that. Okay, the word states I'm a temple. Do I put it in places where it dishonor this spirit? Do I put it in places where the presence leaves me? I had a professor one time, and, and he taught, and, and he, he had a big thing. He said that you shouldn't speed. He said, when you speed, the angels get off. I know he was joking, sort of. Well, maybe not. But, so, but you know what? You think about that. I drive a bus 10 hours a day, four days a week. There are some stop signs that it's easy for me to roll through. You know, I should not do that. So I'm driving my own car, and I'm at one of these stop signs. I rolled through, and I got a ticket. I don't think they give tickets to buses, but anyway. So, yeah, am I doing things that dishonor? Then the last thing, am I being warned? Is there something that I'm being warned about? This was something that you're being warned about. Eli was warned multiple times. Are you being warned in anything? So what does it mean to us? You know, the redemption story is so great. And if you read the Bible from beginning to the end, you see that building and building and building and building. And this passage is just part of that story. It's building and preparing for Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ today enables us to have the Ark of the Covenant in our hearts. And that enables us to have His presence in our hearts. The thing we must not do is take advantage of it or not access it. They celebrated Jesus coming in on Palm Sunday. They yelled crucify him on that Friday. 
but he went through and brought about redemption. He hung on the cross for our sin, for our sickness, for our reconciliation. And he has become the high priest and king forever. And so when we read these stories in Samuel about the priesthood being set up, the prophets being used, the kings being set up, it's all pointing to that King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen.